Welcome back to the Thermodat Podcast. I'm your host, Jayton Miller, and today I have a very special guest. Her name is Benedicte Lurch. She is out of Denmark. She is a biochemist as well as a health coach um, and one of Repeat's many protégés. So I'm super excited for y'all to be able to listen to this one. We talk about multiple areas of metabolism and healing. So um, I will stop chatting and let's get into it. How are you doing today? Great. As always, thanks for having me here. Yes, ma'am. Definitely. So I'm super excited about this topic. Um, serotonin is something that is very misunderstood in the mainstream. Um, and I know it's something that you've been taking a deep dive down here recently. So um, can you kind of start us off with kind of who you are and what you do for the listeners who might not know? Um, well, my name is Kate Deering. Um, I'm a nutritional coach a practitioner. Um, I wrote a book called How to Heal Your Metabolism that basically explores the pro-metabolic world and essentially talks about how supporting metabolism basically will support your health, healing, um, and pretty much can resolve almost most uh, illness and disease if done properly. Um, so kind of my purposes, I think in the last 10 years have been to try to understand the, the, the difference between essentially the stress metabolism and a very healthy metabolism. I think most of us have been uh, in a place where we've gotten ourselves very stressed to get results. And that although works very short term and those, those pathways can have some uh, benefit in the short term, long term for the most part, when we go down those pathways, it's starting to cause symptoms, illness and disease. And so to understand true health, you have to learn how to kind of under uh, unwind those pathways and start supporting things differently, which might not really result in quick overall um, results that people are looking for initially, like weight loss. But ultimately in time, when you start supporting those, those uh, pathways that are going to support something or that's going to support a, a better running metabolism or the, the ability to produce energy better, you're going to start seeing increased levels of health. Mm -hmm. So, um, in that aspect, can you kind of go into what serotonin is and um, how it plays a role in the metabolism in a kind of brief way? And then we can kind of break it down a little bit more. Yeah. So I think everybody, when they think of serotonin, they think of like the happy hormone, right? We take it and we become happy. And that's certainly not what it is. Um, what we know about serotonin is, is it is increased under times of stress. So it is one of our stress hormones. One thing it can do is it certainly has an effect on our gut, um, increases gut motility. So it's a great way to get diarrhea. But, you know, it is a neurotransmitter that affects primarily what's going on in our gut. Um, we have a, a, an incredible amount of nerves in there that, that it responds to. Um, but in chronic levels of stress, um, serotonin is, is basically something that's going to lower metabolism. It's going to make you cooler. It's related to times of hibernation. Um, and it has a list load of symptoms that go along with it when you have high amounts of serotonin. So it's, it's a very interesting topic, I think, because it's not something that people really look at when they think about a metabolic rate, but it's certainly something that is involved in so many of our stress pathways and has, um, and, and if you can kind of address it and understand that what is happening and um, 
lowering it and, and improving how your body responds to stress can be very beneficial. So is there any difference between the serotonin in the gut and in the actual nervous system? In the brain? Well, that is a great question. And from my understanding, like as you become more stressed, then more serotonin gets into the brain. So it, it becomes a, a damaging part to the brain more than anything, from my understanding. Um, so I don't think there is. I think it is essentially the same. Is that is that your understanding? So uh, I think so, yes. Um, and I think that most of the serotonin that is uh, in the systemic system um, is mostly produced in the gut. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I do. Yeah. About 95% from what I understand is produced in the gut. And then even then, like I said, from my understanding, the increase in serotonin in the brain occurs usually with stress and, 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 and it's very damaging than anything. It's not something that you really want there. Mm -hmm. And so, um, whenever we say stress for the listeners, that is both psychological stress and physical stressors, correct? It's all stress. Right. And I think that's, that's what, is important to understand is that it doesn't matter where the stress is coming from. It can be dietary, it can be sleep stress, it can be relationship, external, internal, it doesn't matter. You're still gonna have the same biological response. And I think that's why when people get really stressed, they have a lot of gut issues. And you know, and what we know is, you know, how the gut works is is based essentially on your autonomic nervous system, right? So anything, because we don't think about it, it just happens. Um, and it's controlled through the parasympathetic system. So which we essentially refer to that as that rest and digest system, because the, for the body to digest optimally, it needs to be uh, in a more restful state. And if it's in that sympathetic state all the time, which so many people are, then essentially the sympathetic nervous system tells your body to shut down digestion. Essentially, it decreases hydrochloric acid, decreases pancreatic enzymes, it decreases bioflow. And along with that, it will also increase things like serotonin. So when people want to improve their health or, you know, I, I would say 90% of the people I work with have digestive issues or maybe even 100%. It's very, very common. And there are certainly remedies to, to treat it dietarily, but ultimately if you aren't really addressing a lot of your stressors, um, you can continue to have digestive issues. So um, why would we need serotonin in the first place? So like, why is it actually present if it's not something that is progressive towards a better metabolic state? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, I think it's probably the same as all of our stress hormones that we need it in times of stress. It's one of those things that can probably help preserve our state, meaning under stress, we don't wanna be using an exorbitant amount of energy because uh, our body's trying to preserve its state. Um, and that's why, you know, slowing our metabolism is a, is a way to preserve ourselves. Um, because if it were in a chronic state of stress and we're just using exorbitant amounts of energy all the time and not able to replenish that, we're going to die much quicker. And since your body's primary job is to keep you alive, um, that's why it creates all these stress pathways in case there is a, you don't have enough energy coming in or your body is not able to produce enough energy. So it has other pathways that slow things down that will help preserve your state. And those are good things, right? You want to be able to do that. Um, you just don't want to stay in that state 
in a chronic level. Same thing with things like cortisol um, and, and other things that are, are, are adrenaline, you know, there to save you, um, just not for a long period of time. Like I always say, the stress hormones are there to, to keep you alive. But if you have them in a chronic state long-term, they will slowly kill you. Definitely. Probably um, they're there to help you survive, um, maybe not to stay alive necessarily in the long-term. Yeah, it, it is like, it, it's a state of survival, I think in the short-term, right? They keep you there. And so, you know, and, like, and that's what we know like about serotonin. When uh, animals go into hibernation, they have high amounts of serotonin going through their system because it, it's, it's their design to slow things down. And so you do want it to survive in states of stress. Um, and then of course, when you're out of stress, it should lower. And that's kind of how your system works. We have these pathways for a reason. Um, it's just, I think we're so, most people in today's world, um, we are just in this chronic state. And I think well, so many people get used to it and feel it's quite normal. You know, some people don't even know they're stressed and they have a million symptoms, but like, I don't feel stressed. And I'm like, but you're, <laughs> you're not sleeping, you know, this. And I think you get so used to and adapted to that state um, that you don't even realize that your body is under a severe amount of stress. So what are some of the things that serotonin does to the metabolism? Metabolically, mm -hmm. I think it, uh, well, I think it affects your nerves. Um, it basically, I think, slows down mitochondrial function. Um, it will support glycolysis. So it's going to improve it. Uh, increase lactic acid in your system, which essentially is going to decrease carbon dioxide. Um, serotonin, it, for a lot of people, is going to give them a lot of gut issues. Um, it's going to uh, increase diarrhea. Um, it can create bloating. It can lead to IBS. Um, it can lead to essentially tons of gut issues that people are going to be having. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, it just like gets people into the kind of the slower learned helpless kind of state because that's what it kind of supports. Um, and then, you, you know, and people don't know essentially what learned helplessness is. It's, it's essentially a state where you, you stop realizing that you can help yourself. And, you know, it's more of that slow metabolic state. It's a low energy state. So essentially, like I said, it's just slowing everything down. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the ways that I tend to think about it whenever it's in the peripheral tissues anyways, is that, um, so for instance, like wasp venom, um, strictly serotonin. And like, whenever you get bit by a wasp, it swells up and kind of creates that inflammation in, uh, the peripheral tissue. So, um, in a much more subtle way and in a systemic way, if it's chronic, um, it tends to lead to more inflammation and it can lead to things like, um, insulin resistance, um, and a whole host of problems that tend to be systemic and chronic. Yeah, well, and I think it, it, a high amount of people too, especially women, when we also know that uh, the serotonin, obviously, because it's working on those stress pathways, will increase things like estrogen. Estrogen will increase serotonin. It also can in, uh, increase things like histamine, uh, prolactin. A lot of the other stress hormones are all working together. So, and I think, I'll, you know, and you can have an effect on like other parathyroid hormones, so even parathyroid hormone can be increased of their serotonin, which, you know, systemically you're looking at bone breakdown, um, a whole slew of things start happening. Um, but it's also linked to things like migraine headaches. Um, those are definitely increased through serotonin. So definitely some women who get this because of high estrogen, high serotonin, um, 
trying just some anti-serotonin remedies can remedy their migraines. Mm -hmm. um, so does progesterone actually counteract serotonin? It is an anti-serotonin. So I, I don't know what kind of, if it's working via helping balance out estrogen or, um, but I think also because progesterone can also work by lowering cortisol and that alone can help decrease the amount of serotonin. So I'm not sure exactly where, it, what pathway it's working through, but um, that's why progesterone is definitely used for women to help reduce migraines. It also can help with gut issues. Mm, interesting. Um, do you think that that is due to like just the downregulation of inflammation in the gut from lowering serotonin? So by taking progesterone, mm -hmm. I would think, yeah, I mean, by, because by having increased levels of cortisol, you're going to have, like I said, anything that's going to initiate a sympathetic response, I would think is going to dysregulate your gut. So my always thought is as soon as you get a any of those pathways are going to initiate sympathetic response. So cortisol or uh, estrogen or anything, and all of those are gonna initiate a downregulation of your digestive system. So, and anytime you downregulate everything that's going on in your di digestion, you're gonna create some sort of inflammatory response because now you can't digest your food. So all of this food is gonna enter your system undigested. So you're not gonna absorb it as well. You're not gonna get as enough energy. And also it's just gonna disrupt the gut lining. And so, and because we know that's where kind of serotonin lives, anytime you get digestive distress or things that irritate the gut lining, you're going to get an increase in serotonin. So I think that's why, you know, people that, and this is my old thought about why people do well in like a ketogenic or carnivore type diet, um, because they reduce a lot of these foods that might irritate the gut lining and they feel, and so I think they get a reduction in serotonin initially. So that feels better to them. So that can decrease that entire stress pathways. And at least for a while, they can do much better. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, so do you know um, what kind of bacteria in the gut actually produces serotonin? No, but I know you do, don't uh, you? Um, so I only know it really by the charges. So it's the gram negative bacteria. Yes. As far as like the general, like, um, names, whereas like lactobacillus or anything like that, I'm not really sure like the strains that actually produce it, but, uh, generally it's going to be, uh, the, um, gram negative bacteria. Um, do you know if that's actually, uh, related to endotoxin at all though? Yeah, well, they're definitely related, I think. Uh, and that's why I think decreasing endotoxic load helps decrease serotonin and vice versa. So anytime you get that kind of gut irritation occurring, um, you're going to get a rise in serotonin. So anything that decreases endotoxin is going to help that. And I think that's why eating like a raw carrot salad or coconut oil, anything that's going to decrease bacterial load to the gut is going to be helpful. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, I had a question at the top of my mind and then I lost it as soon as I started speaking. I apologize. Um, it happens. It'll come back to me in just a second. Um, hmm. Oh, uh, so what are some of the ways that knowing when serotonin is bad and whenever it may be overloading your system, what are some of the ways that you get rid of it? I don't know if you ever truly get rid of it, but yeah, having it 
lessened or the degree of its effect on your system is important. Um, so there's tons of anti-serotonin um, foods and nutrients that can help lower it, especially if you think that that's something, you know, if you're having some gut issues, you're probably getting an excess of serotonin. So directly, obviously just reducing the amount of fibers in your diet, because all those are going to be an irritant. So if you're, if your gut lining is already sensitive and already being irritated, then reducing those foods is going to be helpful. So that's usually like a lot of your raw vegetables. Um, make sure you're cooking everything, except the, certainly the, the raw carrot salad. Um, like I said, the, the, the rooted vegetables, especially the raw carrot, have a lot more antimicrobial, uh, bacterial, antimicrobial properties. So they're going to be a lot more beneficial. So having that raw carrot salad with some refined coconut oil, not unrefined. So we want the ones without the fibers, which would be refined and a little bit of vinegar will help clean things out. So, so for some people like that, the, the raw carrot salad can be a miracle and that could be the thing. Now you also need to, like I said, usually reducing some of the starchy foods because they're going to have, they're a lot harder for your system to break down can be beneficial. Um, you know, finding what you can tolerate on that level. Some people can just reduce a few foods and they're fine. Some people need to literally reduce all fibrous foods, except for maybe that carrot salad to help their gut heal. Um, and then you can try, like I said, there are things like progesterone is very anti-serotonin, um, niacinamide, aspirin, um, I think activated charcoal, caffeine, um, for a lot of people, if they get, so one thing that happens with, with serotonin too, if you have excessive amounts, you're going to get a lot of nausea. Um, so having, an, you know, I, having a Coke with salt, caffeine and sugar. So sugar in itself can be helpful, easy, like a digestible sugar can be supportive, uh, thyroid, um, L-theanine can be helpful. Um, there's a long list of kind of anti-serotonin, but I would always say the first place to start is removing the things that are irritating you because, you know, gut irritation is going to create the serotonin increase. And so that would be the main thing. Certainly getting out of stress um, is going to be helpful because as we said, in the very stressed mode, your gut is not working. It, it, you're not getting the energy to the gut when you're in a stress, right? Your body sending all the energy to the peripherals, your body parts, your heart, your lungs, because that's where it says it's needing energy. So the gut is going to have a much harder time. If you're not getting any fuel there, then you're going to have a hard time breaking down things. Do you know the relationship between serotonin and sunlight? Uh, let's see if we can kind of think about that. I mean, obviously sunlight in itself is very anti-stress. Mm -hmm. um, sunlight's gonna support thyroid function, um, increases in uh, vitamin D. Um, vitamin D in itself is gonna help support and lower parathyroid hormone, lower prolactin. So I would assume that anything anti-stress would directly lower serotonin. Um. I know Georgie Dinkoff talks a lot about the branch chain amino acids being able to lower the conversion of tryptophan specifically into serotonin, um, kind of keeps it from getting into the brain too, I think. Yeah. Well, and, and that's another, that's another good point. So also consuming a low tryptophan diet because mm. yes, tryptophan under stress will turn into serotonin and excessive amounts of that is going to obviously do the same thing. So you know, I think that's where you can get in trouble when you start doing a, like a carnivore diet long-term, because now you're going to initially decrease the irritation. But then, you know, if you're consuming tons of muscle meat, now I think probably if you're doing 
a, a lot of bone broth along with the muscle meats and maybe doing some dairy in there, it's probably gonna be a lot safer. Um, but if you see these people that are only eating meat, you know, and nothing else that can actually reduce some of those tryptophan effects, I think you're gonna get in trouble long-term. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, any, anything that lowers that tryptophan. And I think, I think that's also what caffeine can do. I think caffeine reduces the, the amount of tryptophan that turns into serotonin. So anything that kind of disrupts that conversion. Um, I was reading something this morning um, talking about, um, I believe it was serotonin's effect on CO2 production in the body um, and how it lowers the amount of CO2 production that we have. Um, can you kind of go into the systemic effects that that might have um, from lowering CO2? Okay, yeah, so like kind of what I was saying, so serotonin will initiate glycolysis, glycolysis will initiate an increase of lactic, the lactic acid, and that's going to in itself. So high levels of lactate are going to decrease CO2. Mm -hmm. So CO2 production is basically something that you're going to produce through cellular metabolism, and that's an, an energy production. So the more CO2, you, you need CO2 in the system to help facilitate oxygen getting into the cells. And so and they refer to it as like the Bohr effect. Um, so if, if you don't have that transfer of, of gases, at the cell level, then less oxygen is getting into the tissue. And when you have less oxygen, then you are not going to, it's gonna just break down the cycle. So then this metabolism is going to decrease. And so then again, you're gonna produce even less CO2. So the, it's gonna just do a downward spiral of cellular metabolism. So that's why you can get hypoxia at the cell level. Um, you know, and that's what I think we saw a lot of in all of these COVID people that were given high amounts of oxygen or put on ventilators and they just killed them. And they, they went into an hypoxic state because their cells were um, unable to produce energy. So uh, that was mainly because of like uh, backup of the pathway? I think the pathway just got sh shunted, right? So less CO2, right, is gonna produce, you can't get as much oxygen in the tissue you need oxygen for cellular metabolism, right? So aerobic respiration needs oxygen. So I think then what happens is everything just gets pushed into glycolysis, right? You don't even go into the Krebs cycle at some point. It's just gets shut down. You don't get, or you don't go into the electron transfer where you're producing all the energy. So mm -hmm. that whole system gets shut down. And so then you just, and then when you start going into more glycolysis again, what do you produce? More lactic acid. More lactic acid is going to inhibit carbon dioxide as well. So I think on so many levels, it gets stopped or, and so it's like a downward spiral. And that's why I think giving them like all of that oxygen was displacing the carbon dioxide that was in their system. So you give someone hundred percent oxygen, they're gonna displace other gases that you do need. And I think that's why they got such bad results when they, when they did that with these, with these patients. Um. Yeah, that's interesting. So do you think that simply just by adding a little bit of CO2 to the oxygen would help balance yeah, that out? I think that's what the proposed thought is. If you add like 5% CO2, um, you would get a much better result. And I think what's happening to a lot of this is I think they're getting readings because a lot of the, when you put someone on a vent, their, their lungs obviously aren't working very well. And your lungs are the main detoxifier of serotonin. And so if you don't have operating lungs then you're gonna get serotonin buildup in the system as well. 
So it is very interesting. What I, what I thought was interesting with the whole COVID and when people went into, you know, this massive inflammatory response, it's like their system just shut down. But if you Google serotonin syndrome, it's literally everything that happened to these COVID patients when they started to go into the cytokine storms, right? All the blood clotting, decreased oxygen saturation, thrombosis. I mean, all of these things started happening, but, and it's the exact same thing. The cytokine storms, D-dimmer went up, all of those things happen. And so, you know, if you don't, if the, the very organ that's supposed to detoxify something like serotonin, right? And that's the only thing we know about COVID that it likes, or the coronaviruses like to settle into the, the gut lining. I think that's why so many people had GI issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you also have a lung issue, you know, because you're older or you had a, or for whatever reason, you're a smoker, you live in a high polluted area and you have now a hard time detoxifying it, you're going to get this massive buildup. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to put your body in a massive state of stress, which again, as we know, all those stress pathways start going. So cortisol goes up, adrenaline goes up, all of these things, you know, it's like a perfect storm, as they say, you know, and then you put someone in a hospital by themselves and don't let them talk to anybody, you know, what, what are you going to get? Um, so actually, I didn't know. So respiration is the main pathway in which you release serotonin? Your lungs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's how you detoxify. Yep. You breathe out. Interesting. So digestion would be number two? Meaning through the digestive system. Excretion. Mm-hmm. I think so. I'm not, you'll have to, I, I, I'm not totally sure on that, but I think so. But um, I think there are, are some that is passed away through the digestive system, which interesting enough, but I, you know, I do think when it's out into peripheral through the blood, it goes through the lungs. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that it was passed through the, through the respiratory system like that. That's fascinating. Um, so one of the things that, um, I had a conversation with somebody about, uh, Dan Dixon, if you're reading this, I was having this conversation with you, but we were talking about, um, like sciatic pain and how sciatica can actually be a result of excess serotonin in the nervous system. Do you kind of have any idea like why that would be happening there? I don't know if it would be because where the nerves integrate or um, some sort of vagal tone? I don't know, that's a good question. I would have to look and see where that nerve integrates and Mm -hmm. see if it's in relation to something that might be organized through the gut. I don't know. I've also um, heard that like restless leg syndrome is a result of excess serotonin in the nervous system as well. And at one point, it was probably early 2019, I had restless leg syndrome for quite a while. um, And I started taking Epsom salt baths and supplementing with uh, extra magnesium, and it alleviated it. So it makes me wonder if serotonin somehow makes it short circuit. Well, I mean, I mean, again, when you just look at the the stress pathways, right? So any or and it could be serotonin, it could be cortisol, it could be any of those. But anytime you're under a severe amount of stress, you're going to lose magnesium. You can't retain it at that point. So adding additional magnesium on any level, I would think could improve it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know, right? When you when you have something like that, it's always like I always like to look at that whole system saying, is it isolated just like, you know, 
like the medical system kind of just looks at one little thing, but I'm like, look, your entire system is being affected. Even if you have an injury at your hip, your, your entire system is having a stress effect from it. So on a, on a hormonal level, you're going to have uh, certain stress hormones elevated under a injury or so forth, right? It's, you're gonna have some sort of systemic response. So by alleviating or reducing the entire stress response, can you fix something like that? Sure. I think that's why we see anybody that's in chronic stress or chronic pain, um, if you just downregulate their nervous system or get them out of stress on any level, um, they can improve. Um, so you mentioned learned helplessness earlier. Um, this is a topic that I love to talk about. One of the things that I kind of think about too, that I like to call it is like the belly up response. So similar to like how you walk up to a dog and they'll go belly up to, so they know who's the dominant one. So they kind of give up to that authority that's there. Um, can you kind of go into like, um, examples of this that we have currently that people might um, be able to relate back to? Learned helplessness. So I think, I mean, how they kind of studied it was with rats or mm -hmm. mice. And, you know, essentially you teach them that they can't help themselves or you, you put them in a pool and you don't give them a ladder to get out. And they just learn, eventually they, they drowned because they, they, there's no way out, right? So you condition them for that. And then you put a ladder in, but they're so conditioned that they can't help themselves. Even when they can, they don't. So th there's a conditioning, I think, that goes on. Um, you know, is it happening in our society right now? Um, sure. You know, <laughs> I mean, we can get into the deeper levels of that when other forces come in, you know, um, when you when you don't take 100% responsibility for what is around you, and you start doing you know whether it's a lot of victimization that's occurring. Um, when you start to think that it's something outside of you to control the response you're showing up in this world, then that's a level of learned helplessness. You you think that it's the system's fault or the world's fault or if you know it's something outside of me that can control what is happening that can help myself, and so. You know, I, I think you are seeing that now, you know, it's whether it's the government is going to help you or save you, um, you can't do anything. And if, if that doesn't happen, if all these other people don't follow along and, and, and do what they're suggesting, then, you know, then you should stay in your home forever and never come out. Um, and that's going to make you safe. Um, and there is some conditioning of that going on, certainly, um, which is quite frightening. You know, we're not, we're not, what we should be doing is empowering people that you essentially you do have the resources you do have the ability you know to to do whatever and you know and to help yourself right now right um you know being in better health i mean we had a great opportunity in the last year to really push the hey we really need to take care of ourselves you you need to have some self-responsibility here um and because if you do and if you're in better health your chances of getting ill greatly decrease um, we, and that's what we should have focused on, but we did not. We focused on um, take these pills. Take, we need nothing can happen, and, and nothing's going to be fixed until everyone is um, vaccinated, and and that's our only way out of these things. And I think that's a real shame, you know. And and um, you know, I, we we taught people to become 
uh, less resilient, essentially, and, and less dependent on their own abilities. My kind of perspective on it, it. So one of the questions that I've been asked several times, and I actually got asked yesterday was, if you could live in any era, what era would you live in? Um, and I honestly think that the era that we live in now is the most fruitful era that has ever been available to humans ever. Like opportunities are literally right at our fingertips. All we have to do is identify them and then take advantage of them. Um, so I, I truly do think that the time that we live in is one of the best that there is, even if looking at, you know, politics and things like that might not make it seem that way. Um, it definitely is that way if you know how to look at it correctly. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely correct with that. I think the opportunities are, like I said, I mean, if you want, you can create, you can create an Instagram account and if you do it properly, really, and spend the time to do it and, and you, you can be quite rich or whatever, or make at least a good living in a matter of six months. You know, you see it all the time. You don't even have to do anything. I mean, you don't have to go, you don't have to be a job. You don't have to have a boss. You just need to believe that you can do it and you can, because you see it all the time, you know, because everything is so available to you. You can do it in your home. You don't even have to go. I mean, it, there is, but I think people need to be taught that you need to know that you need to be brought up that that is all available to you. Not, not the opposite. Mm -hmm. And that's where you see, I feel there's a little bit of a conditioning going on, whether, you know, it's through our medical system. I, I do believe that people are starting to wake up to a lot of this, to be quite honest, you know, and we, we can see that a lot of our systems aren't working for our benefit, you know, and I mean, you know, whether it's the medical system, again, I think there is, the medical system has its place. Certainly we need medicine. There's a lot of great things that come out of medicine. I'm not like anti-doctors or anything like that, but when it comes to preventative care and really being healthy and keeping people healthy, it, it's been taking us down the, the wrong routes for decades now, and it's, it hasn't been supportive. And I, I think we need a different system for that. Definitely. I am. Um, so would you go so far to say as our society as a whole is almost a high serotonin society? I would think so. I, I and I, I would think, yeah, just from the the number of people that are probably on some sort of antidepressant, or again, like I said, I think you know it could be ninety, possibly a hundred percent of the people I work with have gut issues. So there's going to be some level of that that's going on. I mean, I I think focusing it's so interesting because I don't think serotonin is, is something that anybody even focuses on or thinks about when it comes to their health. Um, it's something because we've been so conditioned to think of it as this happy hormone and that we need more of it, you know, for, for whatever, to improve our mood or health or whatever, that, that it's not even, you know, thought about. And when you really start diving into it, you realize what the big contributor is to, um, to not being healthy and to into disease and to all of these other things. And if you start looking at it and addressing it, you really can improve people's health. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that if you've had conversations with people who have been on things like SSRI, SSRIs um, and similar um, like monoamine oxidase inhibitors, um, what are some of the most repetitive things that you've seen in terms of how they feel and like um, how it affects their 
way of being? So I, I don't have too many people that are on antidepressants, um, but the, the people I have spoken to that, that are, um, one thing they will definitely tell you is their temperature starts to drop. They definitely become colder. Um, and for a lot of them, um, they will start having uh, worse gut issues, gut issues if they were having them. Um, I do know of a few people that are younger that were both on um, antidepressants and um, both became suicidal. Um, you know, I, from what I understand, uh, the suicide rate for young kids is dramatically higher on antidepressants. Um, I think it's like either three or five times as high as it would be the, 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 than on a placebo is what I remember reading. So um, it's, it's a little bit scary on that level, but it, I think, and on the other things I, that I've talked to people about is that they, there's a slight disconnect. There's a lack of feeling that occurs. Uh, and I think that's maybe why they feel better on someone because they're not emotionally connected, you know? And so if they're, they're, they're having some issues per se, and then all of a sudden they can just disconnect from them. Obviously it's not making them better and their issues are still there, but they don't, they're not being, having anxiety per se about them or they're constantly there. So it's almost like they just don't care. And right. So, you know, when you kind of look at those things, you can understand why someone might technically feel better if you kind of remove that thing from them, but it isn't certainly fixing them. And it's probably long-term going to make them worse. Definitely. Yeah. Um, one of the ways that somebody has told me uh, it makes you numb. It, yeah. It kind of just numbs you out. And like, for instance, if you take, if you sit on your hand for a little while and numb it out, you can't really tell if your hand feels good or if your hand is hurting because you just can't feel it at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it, it like, I think it just emotionally disconnects you from reality on some level, you know, and I remember telling, you know, I, I knew a, a friend of mine that was on them and she would go see, we go to a movie and it'd be super sad. Like I, like I cry, like anytime a, there's a dog movie and a dog, I mean, I am like hysterically sad and I, and she's a, a big animal person. And I remember going and, and she was just like, she didn't cry at all, like nothing. Like, she's like, I think there's something wrong with me. I like literally had no emotion. And like, we had a kind of a, a conversation and you know, it's that kind of disconnect. Like you just, you just don't care as much, right? And so again, can be helpful maybe short term, but it's, that's not fixing the system. It's just kind of pushing everything down. Definitely. I, uh, I would like to kind of get into, so, um, one of the best articles that I've read on kind of serotonin and the connection that it has on like our perception of reality. Um, first of all, uh, Aldous Huxley on the doors of perception and, uh, heaven and hell. Great book. Um, highly recommend it. And Danny Roddy on his website actually has a really good article. And he talks about how the serotonin receptors almost act as a filter to the amount of reality that uh, we allow into our perception Um, because the biological organism can't withstand the amount of stimulus that would come in. Um, And so we have to have some way of filtering that out. And so 
the more serotonin receptors that we have in the brain, the more kind of dull that the experience tends to get because we're filtering more and more of the um, actual reality that is present out. Yeah, that makes, I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, and I think, like I said, that's where these stress hormones can be helpful because there are probably times, and I'm sure, and if you saw people who had a lot of trauma um, that you can only handle so much, you know, so there's some level maybe they could use something like that temporarily until that person can actually unwind and, and, and deal with maybe the trauma that they've experienced, right? Because that's, that's the way out is to manage and, and, and really go through the trauma, you know? And I would I imagine that some people's is, is so horrific that, that just they, that downregulation is what, what makes them be able to function. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I would say that um, also you could take it in the reverse and like the higher your metabolism tends to get and the better state of health that you tend to be in, the more vibrant that the experience that you are experiencing tends to be. Yeah. Do you have that same experience? Yeah. I would say people in a high energy, I mean, and you, you do become more resilient certainly at that point. So you can handle more um, I, I just think, you know, as they say, when, if you begin, you know, and that's the thing also, if you become in a high energy state and a high metabolic state, you do require and need a lot of fuel. So if at some point it's not available to you, or you have something that's a stressor that it's, it's far, uh, exceeding what your body is able to produce, you, you do want that down regulation. So you of course don't die or you both, you know, you're, you, you just can't manage it. And I think that's why those systems are set up because there are times when that could happen to you. And so we, we do have those backup systems for that. But yes, when you are in that high energy state and you do have a high metabolism and you have fuel available to you and you can keep it, yes, you're going to become a, you know, a lot more resilient. And your, yes, your experience, I think is going to be that much better. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was having, uh, another conversation with another friend, um, <laughs> And we were talking about uh, different ways that you could kind of state uh, like having a high metabolism. Um, So one of the ways that I like to say is being in a state of abundance. Um, Another way that we kind of were talking about was being in a state of complete harmony. Um, So like whenever you look at it from um, like vibrational perspective, um, you're completely harmonized throughout the entirety of the being. And I think that whenever you can reach that level, then it allows you to kind of um, open up that filter a little bit more and be able to see like what is actually out there. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because I think when you become in a low energy state, it's hard to even conceptualize even being feeling better. And that's what you see with people when they get into this state um, their thoughts also follow them. So their thoughts are going to be usually pretty negative, which is just going to create a negative feeling and a negative state. And, you know, as you say, a, a state where um, you are in harmony and everything is going to be downregulated. So when we go to those paths, right, they all kind of work upon each other. And so it's like, how, how can you get in to improve that, right? When low metabolic state, low energy state, low vibration, negativity, you know, and you see it, it's like, how do you get out of that? And 
food obviously is one route to getting out, right? Improving the diet and improving the health that way. Um, I also, I mean, I believe the food is 30, 40%. Um, I am a huge believer that just thinking and creating thought and trying to create a better feeling, even in a low energy, not, not even in a state where you, you don't have the right food can pull you out of that place and things can start working better. Um, you know, certainly food is going to help you 100%, but I think we as humans have this ability to fix ourselves with, with the right feelings. Because if you create a better feeling, that is a lot less stress on your system. And, you know, and that's why I think these, you see these people that are, you know, I don't know, uh, high level thinkers, you know, and they can go weeks without eating or whatever they are. I mean, they're using their brain's capacity to keep them in that state, even without fuel. And, you know, and they can keep themselves regulated without those things. So, you know, I, I think we, we have a lot more capacity than we think we do. And if you think you do, though, you probably have more capacity, but food is just another avenue. It's just one of the avenues. Mm -hmm. So um, that's kind of, that's, that's interesting. Would you say that um, people who are kind of within that very small percentage of high level intellects in general would have lower serotonin levels just naturally? Intellect depends on the intellect, I think, right? I, I certainly know some highly intelligent people, but are emotionally, <laughs> are, their, their emotional IQ might be stunted. So I would say maybe if you have very high emotional IQ, um, and I don't even know if that would be the place. Um, I, I think if you were able to maintain your level of feeling a good feeling, um, a, a feeling, not even, it's not just thought, right? It's not just positive thought, right? Thought only gets you so far, can support a good feeling. But if you can't get to that feeling state of letting it take over you energetically, cellularly, that has that whole systematic response and you're not going to get to where you need to go. So I don't know if that would be more emotional intelligence. I don't know if it's just smart people. I know a lot of smart people that are sick. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I don't know, it would be more emotional intelligence than anything. Okay. Interesting. Would that be like, um, so whenever you say emotional intelligence, do you mean being able to identify what you are feeling and then being able to fill it with complete intensity? I would say that. I mean, there's definitely a level of being able to feel. Um, you know, I think most people think of it more of like a, know you have a certain level of empathy and compassion those all go with emotional intelligence but you, you but I also think it's a level if you really want to establish health through it um I think there has to be a trust in something outside of yourself too right I mean you have to learn to 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 a probably live in this present moment all the time and not let fear of past or present get into your way you know you don't let your thoughts get into the what if of all these things you just trust in this process of life and allow to just go with it mm -hmm. um I, I i think i don't know if you've ever read michael singer's book um surrender and i can't remember the, the, the name of the book um but he was this very uh very smart man who developed a multi-million dollar like computer company um but he was like a big yogi 
you know, and basically he just said yes to everything in the world. He didn't question it. He just, if it came to him, yep, I'm going to do that. It just, that's how he lived his life. And he never stressed about anything because he just thought that was the way to go. And I think that when you live in that state constantly, you just, you just always know that that's, if you believe that's the right thing, um, your levels of stress are going to be quite low. Um, and, you know, and as you know, when you have low level stress, right, then you are going to have low levels of serotonin and you're going to have better, you know, gut health. And, you know, and that's why food is important. But when you have all these things that are working really well all the time, you can have a variety of different foods and, and that you might accept them, you know, much better than someone that is in this kind of low energetic state. So um, do you have any resources for people where they could kind of learn more about the truth behind serotonin and kind of what it does? Uh, certainly you can, Ray Pete has some really good articles. So I would go on to there. Um, he has like three or four good articles. So if you just Google Ray Pete and serotonin, you're going to come up with those. But if you if you want to kind of explore the entire myth about antidepressants and something we kind of didn't really touch on, but um how they got to where they are today and, and, and when, why we thought that serotonin was this magic happy hormone and, you know, and how we kind of, it was a total accident. And, and even the early research showed it didn't work. Um, but, you know, the pharmaceuticals kept going with it and, and here we are. Um, but a really good book is from Irving Kirsch um, that I think the Emperor's New Drug he wrote right, a decade or so ago. Um, but he took a deep dive into all the research through the drug companies on all of the antidepressants and really looked at what they were showing. And uh, majority of them showed that, you know, that these drugs produced very similar response to a placebo effect. And, you know, and I think that's why, and I always, the placebo effect fascinates me. And I think because that just shows you how powerful our brain is. But, you know, we know that if you if you give somebody something and they they have expectations that it's going to work and if they think that the person is giving to them is very trustworthy, you know, you are going to get a a good response with very low side effects is the good thing about placebo, you know, but even telling someone they're taking a placebo and telling them to do it every day can get a good response, which is very interesting to me. So um, anyways, that that is a really good book is the Emperor's New Drug. And Another one is um, Lost Connections by uh, Johanna Javi, I think his name is. Um, he wrote a book just recently about the antidepressant world and really what were the core issues of depression. Um, that, you know, obviously you're going to have depression when you have, you know, something tragic happen in your life, trauma, you, you don't feel fulfilled for some reason or another. There's a lot of different reasons why you might be feeling the way you are. And I think just trying to cover it up and, and you know, and like I said, become disconnected to make yourself feel better is, is what the drug companies are, are telling you to do. Um, but is that the way out? And again, you know, it, this is certainly not telling anybody they should get off their medications because they shouldn't. They should certainly talk to their, their doctors. Um, and, you know, and for some people, they really work. And, you know, yeah, you know, more, more power to you. But it, it's worth investigating how they're working and why they're working and is there a safer and better route for you, especially if you're starting to experience some of the severe side effects of some of these antidepressants? Mm -hmm. I would say um, one book that you might find fascinating in terms of like uh, the power of the placebo effect is The Biology of Belief by Bruce Lipton. Have you read that one? 
I have. Yeah. The poly- and, and, and actually, You Are the Placebo by Joe Dispenza, if you haven't read that one. I and mean, he has another one, Breaking the Habit of Being You, I think it's called. Becoming um, our, Supernatural is pretty good, too. Yeah. All of their books, uh, Bruce Lipton's, I, yeah, he's, I, I, I do really enjoy his work. Um, mm-hmm. All of those are really good because it really, you know, your brain is so powerful and you can change it just through thinking and, and feeling and so forth. And when you know you have that capacity and you have that power, uh, your life can really change. If you don't think you do, if you're in that state of learned helplessness, um, you know, that's, it's, it, you get stuck. And we don't, you don't want people to be stuck anymore. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, well, Kate, I appreciate you hopping on here today. Um, can you kind of let people know where they can find your work and get a con- into contact with you and stuff? Uh, yep. You can find me on Kate Deering Fitness on Instagram or Facebook or katedeering.com. Um, I'm actually going through a a uh, website overhaul. So I hope I'll have a new website in the next month or so. Um, <clears throat> you can get my book on Amazon, How to Heal Your Metabolism. It's certainly going to, doesn't get into the depths of serotonin or antidepressants, but it does give you a foundation of how that you can support your metabolism um, by eating the right foods and why certain foods may be detrimental to you. Um, and so that's a great place to start if you want to start fixing yourself. But um, yeah, follow me on Instagram, Facebook. I'm there pretty much every day. Heck yeah. Awesome. And I always recommend your book to everyone who's looking for an introduction into the metabolic sphere. So if you have yet to read it, it is definitely one that you should read if you're listening to anything related to this podcast whatsoever, for sure. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to hit the like button, subscribe, and leave a comment down below if you want us to cover a different topic.